episode three of the Truth Quest podcast. Today we're going to tackle the topic that is rarely discussed in mainstream circles. We are asking the question, where in the Constitution? It's a simple yet effective question when discussing the role of the federal government. Very similar to what about the baby question we discussed in episode number two. Before we dive in, I want to remind you to share the show with people you know. If you find an informative and informal endorsement is great. Or if you find yourself discussing the Constitution with somebody, send them a link to this episode. And as always, if you value the content provided, please consider supporting the show with a few dollars. Every dollar you give me will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page for the link to the patronage page. On with the show. As Patrick Henry once said, the Constitution is not an instrument for the government to restrain the people. It's an instrument for the people to restrain the government. I'm going to reread that again. The Constitution is not an instrument for the government to restrain the people. It is an instrument for the people to restrain the government. So given the lack, the general lack of constitutional education in the United States, this quote may seem odd to some of you. You may wonder, why would we need to restrain the federal government? I thought they were there to help and take care of us. As a Christian, I believe the Bible is the authority on how I should live my life. As an American, I believe the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers, and all the personal writings of the Founding Fathers are the authority for the country. I believe the Founding Fathers of this country were extraordinary. What they did, taking on the British Empire, is nothing short of miraculous. But their crowning achievement is the United States Constitution. The Constitution is the glue that holds the United States together. It's one of the reasons America is exceptional. The problem is fewer and fewer people in America study the Constitution. Ignorance of the Constitution and of your rights is not bliss. It's a recipe for disaster. It has always irritated me when I hear liberals and progressives badmouth the Constitution, depicting it as an antiquated document written by a bunch of old, rich, white, slave-owning guys. They claim the document needs to change with the times. Rather than follow the constitutional amendment process, liberals, progressives, and for that matter, establishment Republicans have instead chosen to impose their agendas, often in the wake of a crisis or a tragedy, like a war, a financial crisis, or even 9-11. They pursue their extra-constitutional agenda through judicial activism, executive orders, and government regulations. When in doubt about an issue, look to the original intent of the Founding Fathers. What did they say about a particular issue? When someone tries to circumvent the Constitution by making arguments that the Founding Fathers would never have imagined modern life, simply remind them that that is the reason there is an amendment process to begin with. If you don't like something, offer up a constitutional amendment. Otherwise, if the Constitution is silent on an issue, then the federal government should have nothing to do with it. I'm going to say that again. If the Constitution is silent on an issue, then the federal government should have nothing to do with it. The founding documents made it clear that our rights are granted by God, not government. Our government was created to protect those God-given rights. The purpose of the Constitution was simply to provide a structure that would protect us from anyone who thought they were greater than God. If rights are not given by God, rather by government, then government can just as easily take those rights away. Given that overview, let's examine what the Constitution has to say about the federal government. Over the two-plus century, centuries since this nation's founding, the federal government has expanded into areas way beyond the comprehension of the Founding Fathers. How do I know that? Because I read the words of the Founding Fathers, specifically Article I, Section 8 of the Constitution, 
where in 18 paragraphs, the Founding Fathers clearly articulate what limited powers the Constitution grants to the federal government. Here's a breakdown of the 18 paragraphs. Six of them concern the military and the militia. That makes sense. You want to have a centralized military rather than one in every state. Four of the paragraphs concern money and taxes. Again, makes sense. One currency and some form of tax collection. There's one paragraph concerning commerce. While the Commerce Clause has been badly bastardized over the years, a subject for another podcast episode, it made sense to regulate some commerce between the states. There's one paragraph concerning naturalization and bankruptcies. Again, sensible centralized powers. There's a paragraph concerning post office and post roads. Okay, despite the current financial performance of the United States Postal Service, most people would, would not argue with this. There's one paragraph concerning copyrights and patents. Okay, fine. There's one paragraph concerning federal courts. That seems reasonable. There's one paragraph concerning maritime crimes. All right, for the time period in which it was written, that seems sensible. And there's one paragraph concerning uh, the governance of the District of Columbia. Finally, there's one paragraph that gives Congress the power to, quote, make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers. This is another clause that has been bastardized and subject to a future podcast episode. Nonetheless, a sensible provision. As Porky Pig used to say at the end of the Looney Tune cartoons, that's all, folks. That is everything the federal government is constitutionally allowed to do. There are zero paragraphs concerning marriage, gay or straight. There's zero concerning health insurance, zero concerning education, zero concerning gun control. Zero paragraphs concerning labor laws. Zero concerning abortion. Zero paragraphs concerning old age pensions. There are no paragraphs about student loans, bailouts of corporations, carbon dioxide emissions, welfare programs, farm subsidies, pharmaceuticals, foreign aid, the regulation of the internet, infrastructure spending, and there are zero paragraphs concerning the regulation of marijuana. Isn't that remarkable? Given all of that, how many agencies would pass the constitutionality test? Maybe the Defense Department, the Post Office, the State Department, the Patent and Trademark Office, the Treasury Department, Federal Court System, maybe the Attorney General's Office, the Justice Department, Immigration and Customs. That means the abolishment or privatization of well-known agencies such as the Department of Education, the Environmental Protection Agency, the Interior Department, the Department of Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, the Labor Department, the Federal Reserve, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, the Energy Department, Small Business Administration, Amtrak, Department of Transportation, Commerce Department, Food and Drug Administration, Labor Relations Administration, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the Export-Import Bank. I could literally go on for 20 more minutes reciting the list of unconstitutional federal agencies. In my book, Critical Thinking, I filled four full pages with a list of federal agencies that do not meet the constitutionality test. Just in case there is any confusion, after reading Article 1, Section 8, the Founding Fathers authored the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution, which reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. Additionally, James Madison wrote in Federalist 45, for those of you who don't know what the Federalist Papers are, they were 
essentially newspaper articles written by Madison, John Jay, and Alexander Hamilton that was distributed through the New York papers, and they were making arguments for the ratification of the Constitution. So in Federalist 45, James Madison wrote this, The powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. The former will be exercised principally on external objects as war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, with which the last power of taxation will, for the most part, be connected. The powers reserved to the several states will extend to all the objects which, in the ordinary course of affairs, concern the lives, liberties, and properties of the people and the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the state. So I want you to pause here for a moment and internalize the core message of Federalist 45. The federal government was to be heavily restricted, few and defined, while the states were to have all the power, numerous and indefinite. Remember what the purpose of this podcast is. It is to seek truth. The truth is that despite the fact that we live in a country where the federal government's role was severely limited by the Constitution, today's federal government is the largest creditor-debtor Lender, employer, consumer, contractor, grantor, property owner, tenant, insurer, healthcare provider, and pension guarantor. Again, pause for a minute and digest what I just said. Rewind the ar- the audio if you have to, but I really want you in- to internalize the constitutional crisis in which we live here in the United States. If you are anything like me, when you hear this for the first time, you get a little angry, or perhaps you're ye- or perhaps you're yelling at me saying, "You idiot!" Congress passed laws for all that stuff, or the Supreme Court has already weighed in on most of those things. Well, I'm glad some of you had that reaction because it will serve as a reason for you to come back and listen to future episodes where I explain to you that just because Congress passes a law or the Supreme Court offers an opinion does not magically make those things constitutional. To illustrate the absurdity of the situation we we now find ourselves in, I want to tell you a fictional story. So imagine you're sitting in your favorite coffee shop, and you look over at the table across from you, and there sits Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. So you obviously cannot believe your eyes, so you get up and walk over. When you realize that your eyes were not deceiving you, you ask the three men if you can join them. Madison pulls out a chair and says, by all means, have a seat. Jefferson points to a story in the newspaper that he's reading when you walk up, and he says, "Uh, do you know anything about this? The headline reads, Affordable Care Act Expenses Exceed Estimate. You hesitantly respond, sure, that's referring to Obamacare. It's a national health care law that was passed in, uh, I think, 2010. Franklin peers over his bifocals and says, what is Obama? You respond, that's the last name of the recent president of the United States, Barack Obama. His signature piece of legislation was a nationally mandated health care system. Pause here for a moment and try to consider how those three men, given their perspective on the Constitution, would react to such a scenario. So almost in unison, all three men turn to you with this inquisitive yet confused look on their face. What, you ask? What, explains Franklin. Did you say national health care, Madison chimes in? Timidly, you respond, well, yes. The, the argument was has been that no American should be denied health care. Everyone has a right to decent health care. So President Obama and his party, the Democratic Party, passed a bill that mandated every American must buy health insurance and Health insurance companies had to sell on policies regardless of their health. The three founders looked back and forth at each other and again at you for what seems to be an eternity. Finally, Jefferson says, Did you ratify a constitutional amendment in regards to health insurance and health care? 
You meekly respond, no. Well, then where in the hell does Congress and the president get the authority to press such a mandate on the people, exclaimed an exasperated Franklin. You respond, I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I know the Supreme Court upheld the law. You add excitedly, assuming that would appease these three giants of American history. No such luck. What did you just say? asked Madison. The Supreme Court found a law that mandates all Americans buy something in the Constitution? Where? It had something to do with the ability to tax. The court said that the penalty to be assessed against anyone who didn't buy health insurance was considered a tax, and therefore the law was deemed constitutional. All three men seemed lost in their thoughts for several moments. Then Franklin asked, What about this? As he pointed to another headline that read, Secretary of Education resigns. You look at him and say, What do you mean? Franklin says, What is a Secretary of Education? You respond, He runs the Department of Education and reports to the President, just like the other secretaries. Oh, exclaims Jefferson. You pass a constitutional amendment creating that department? Very interesting. Madison chimes in, we never thought that was necessary. We just assumed every town and village would educate their own kids. No, we never passed a constitutional amendment, you quietly explain. I think Congress just passed a law back in the 1970s. Now all you ever hear about is people complaining that Washington is always dictating to the states what to teach. Why does the federal government dictate what is taught in the schools, asked Jefferson. Well, the majority of funding from, for schools comes from Washington. The three men again just look at each other with this incredulous look on their faces. Franklin wonders aloud, I'm afraid to ask if there are any other agencies like this that are outside the purview of Article 1, Section 8. You look at the men, stuttering a bit, and respond, Uh, not only would we be here all afternoon if I told you everything the federal government is involved in, but I'm afraid your heads would explode. So what's the lesson of this episode? The next time you hear talking heads on TV or read an op-ed on your favorite website about what the federal government is doing, what the president is proposing, what Congress is debating, what the Supreme Court is ruling on, I want you to ask the question, where in the Constitution? More often than not, what is being discussed is clearly unconstitutional.